sell the seed and make the flowers For a couple of hours On a beautiful day Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Kendall Y. Hey, I'm Jordan Guess. Jordan, what do you think about the latest intro song? It's pretty nice. I mean, I don't have a, you pretty much in that realm. It's like you got to just choose one and go with it. And then people who are regular listeners, they're just going to get used to it. And eventually they're just going to bop to it. So... It's kind of like, I feel like it's kind of like a name when you hear someone's name, you know, for the first time, you're like, oh, it kind of sounds weird. But then once you call it up, call them that name, you're like, after, I don't know, a year, you're like, yeah, it's normal. So, well, those are ex- my thoughts. I'm experimenting. So we'll see how it, uh, cause that one was different, right? That was different than last week. Well, so that is the same song as last week, but okay. different, different part of the song. Okay. Yeah. Okay um dude are we going into nuclear war right now wow i just gotta start i gotta start us off with that question we gotta start there well there is no public announcements that uh well i don't know maybe it would all be speculative. did you watch the jake tapper did you watch the jake tapper interview the no. one with biden i did not yeah tell, tell me about okay. it okay I mean, I only caught a few, like few uh, clips from it, because I just can't, you know, I can't watch it too hard. But essentially, like some of the clips were essentially him being like, "Yeah, we're taking this thing, we're taking Putin's threats very seriously, but not giving like clear answers as to what the consequences would be." It almost seems like the West right now is just kind of like just sitting on their hands, hoping to God that that Putin doesn't pull a tactical nuke. In Ukraine or elsewhere, I think if I for real don't know what they would do. I think if Putin pulled attack out, it would be game over for him. That's my my opinion. I've got I've gone back and forth on on this um, geopolitical topic quite a bit this year. I started out thinking like this seems ridiculous. Why are we like baiting him into this? Why are we doing this? Why is Western leadership doing this? But I think I've landed on surprisingly i feel a little out of my place here but i actually think that what we're doing is correct i think that it's full the right moves now i don't i don't even know how to defend that position to be honest but just like my gut is telling me that this is this is the right move i think that i think that there's a lot of moral reasons to do it um there's a lot i do what though to do what exactly to essentially kind of like be vague i feel like that's what they're all they're doing is like being very vague on what the consequences would be what the strategy even is right now well specifically i'm commenting on there's a compelling argument to be made which the west baited putin into this so we sort of like we sort of caused this conflict um, by trying to get Ukraine to join NATO and then putting military equipment on the border. There's a number of a number of compelling arguments to be made that we actually caused this. Um, yeah. 
and I and think it is benefiting us, like it, U.S. It, it, it is it, right from an oil and gas standpoint. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if you, what? I think, I think that the most important chart of this year is the ruble versus the dollar, and the ruble is actually up. The only currency in the world that is beating the dollar to to date is the ruble. Actually, I think the Brazilian real is also, by the way, bullish on Brazil. Um, that's a different topic. Um, yeah. So, but your 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 point is is that like is it it is like basically what I see happening economically and financially, which are two different things. Mm-hmm. What I see happening this year is Russia is ahead; they're in the lead. They're they're benefiting the most from this. The United States is benefiting the second most, so we're in second place. And then there's a huge drop off. Everybody else, well, Brazil's in there actually. Everybody else is screwed, um, especially the UK. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. Okay, well, I guess we can kind of use that as a transition into the markets because obviously, I mean, all this stuff is playing into market volatility, and there's no shortage of that. So. Let's talk through what's been going on. Um, okay, so are you up to date on this morning's news? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I had to do a. This is actually funny. Oh, I had oh to do boy. a photo. Sh- I did a photo shoot this morning um, with one of my clients for like the coffee. Are you about oh, to break my freaking heart? Is is Bitcoin in like is is it at ten thousand or something? So just in the past twenty four hours, a lot has transpired. Um, okay, let's talk like, it through. The end is potentially close. Okay, potentially. Like we could, we okay. could, we could see a real bottom here within the next few weeks, maybe. Um, but so rewind about twelve hours ago, you had Janet Yellen announcing that she is now officially concerned about liquidity in the U.S. Treasury market. So you know, like forty-eight hours ago, she said. Not a concern. <laughs> Twelve hours ago, she She's comes the out. New Jim Cramer. Yeah, she comes out and says, "Okay, now I'm concerned." And then, <laughs> and then, two hours ago, the CPI print came out, and CPI came in hotter than expected, like significantly hotter than expected. Now, I don't think it's actually at the high. I think it's still below like the all time high of two or three months ago, uh-huh. but. But it exceeded, it exceeded expectations and it's up month over month, which is the big thing. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Dude, that is crazy. I actually forgot that the CPI print was coming in this morning. And I love, I love that actually pushed. Well, I guess it probably came out at 8:30. So we're recording right now, just so everyone knows, 10 15 a.m. right now on the 13th of October. Oh, it was Dang, we perfect. missed we missed Friday the 13th by one day. Perfect, perfect timing on our part. Um, yeah. So yeah, the treasury market is in the absolute tank this morning. Let's Everything. talk through why that is, because it, it mostly is because the dollar is strong, right? Relative to other currencies, is that? I mean, that's kind of what I was getting the sense of from. Um, yes, the that's great correct. Lynn Alden. That's yeah. correct because most sovereigns, so U.S. Treasuries are the global reserve asset which is different than the global reserve currency, right? The global reserve currency is the dollar. Global reserve asset is treasuries. 
And, and so treasuries are bonds, right? Treasuries are bonds, which are uh, created by the U.S. government. It's how the U.S. government funds a lot of its spending. Tax receipts are insufficient in covering government spending. So they issue bonds. Um, <clears throat> so sovereigns all around the world and and private private participants, shadow banks as well, use treasuries as their primary reserve asset, which means it's sort of like at the core of their of a lot of financial assets. It's used it's supposed to be at, their their risk free their risk free asset, right? It's a risk free asset because basically the U.S. government will, will never be insolvent. <laughs> this is the Titanic that we were talking about last. Fingers week. fingers crossed. Yeah, because um, the U.S. government can just print money and they can um, they can re- repay their debts. But um, and how is how I heard it was explained? It was like other countries or sovereigns they buy up u.s treasuries when the dollar is weaker in times of the weak dollar and then times like this they are pretty much selling or at least not purchasing nearly as much when the dollar is strong like this and essentially makes the u.s treasury bond market very um there's like a there's like a count i think it's a counter cyclical dynamic with the with the treasury markets so, because what happens is a lot of these sovereigns have their own debts, which are ultimately denominated in dollars, not treasuries. So if the dollar index spikes, then that means that they just have their their debt load just spiked, which means that they have more to repay than what they previously did. And the way that they pay for that is by selling treasuries. And so they sell the treasury to get the dollars to pay back their debts. And if you have sell pressure in the treasury market, then treasuries values go down, which makes yields go up. That's the counterintuitive part of the of the bond market. Bonds, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what's happening. And it, when the bond market generally is like the largest pool of capital on planet Earth, right? Or is it real it's, estate? It's the <clears throat> U.S. Treasury market specifically is the what people refer to as the deepest, most liquid market on the planet, which means that it has the most amount of trade volume per day of buyers and sellers. Um, but we're about to find out if that's true. <laughs> yeah. See, that's so that's that's the ongoing narrative. I feel like this narrative is actually somewhat almost getting too mainstream, so it may not play out, but but the the narrative is that if the the Fed will continue hiking until one of two things happens. Either unemployment spikes, which we are a long ways from because the employment market is still pretty, fairly strong relatively. Um, that's one possible outcome. The second possible outcome is if the treasury market goes what's called no bid, right? We've talked about this before, where there are no buyers, which means, and if there's no buyers in an order book, then the price falls off a cliff, it goes down. And if the problem with that is that Treasuries are used as the most common form of the, the best form of collateral. So co- it's used as collateral in a whole bunch of financial leverage systems. And so if you have crazy volatility in that collateral, then it, everybody gets margin called and you have this massive cascade of contagion, like, uh, like liquidation events. So essentially people are having to sell other assets to cover their, to cover their margin call 
That's right. And then therefore other other asset classes are falling precipitously because of that. That's correct. Yeah. And so that that's potentially one factor which will cause the Fed to pivot to to reinduce quantitative easing, which is where they they're basically the buyer of last resort. They go into the treasury market, they buy they become if it goes no bid, they become the bidders. They start buying treasuries. So we're very close to that. I think that we are within a month of that potentially playing out. And yeah. if that does play out, what you have is a dynamic where you have consumer price index ripping at 9%, 8%, the, where the the money printer is going burr. So they're, they're printing yeah. into an inflation spike, which will only further serve to worse inflation. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm not actually, I think that's the most compelling narrative, but I don't, I think that it's not a sure bet in my opinion. Like I think that, I think that the fed may be willing to induce a global depression for the sake of price stability. And it's not necessarily for financial reasons, but for geopolitical reasons. Um, but yeah. We'll see. Let's watch. Man, we will watch and see. Like pretty, you know, Lynn Lynn Alden was saying that it's very similar to what happened in the '40s. Right now, the only difference is that, um, what was she saying? Let me just make sure I got it right. Inflation was high. That's what it was. Inflation was high, and but we didn't have as high of a debt to GDP like that. Are the glo- all the different jet- debt to GDP ratios right now amongst all the different countries? I think that's what's making this where it's like unprecedented, where we've run out of tools to fix the problems and kick the can down the road, it, so, or at least it feels like that, right? Yeah, totally. Because what are the there's three there's a there's three options. Let's see if I can stream of conscious figure this out. The the first option is austerity, which means that you reduce government spending, which means that people are out on the streets and they're cold. And by the way, it's the we're going into the winter. That's option A. Option B is I think option B is like a some revolutionary technology magically appears. For example, let's say cold fusion, modular cold fusion were to appear and we solved the energy crisis, sort of. There, you know, like the the leaders kicked back and they're like, "Oh, look, look what this! I found this under the desk. This is great." <laughs> That's option B. Option C is a massive debt jubilee, and so you basically inflate away all the debt. And the way that you do that is you do intensive government spending. I mean, like orders of magnitude, even what we've seen already, where you have, you know. You you you're like okay we're gonna rebuild this entire interstate system from New York to California, and we're gonna offer a salary of three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So who wants to who wants to build an interstate? If you do that, then um, and it's all funded by the government, then you uh, basically inflate away the debt. So the debt loads get reduced relative to the GDP that's created. Um, mm. So that's you know. When you frame it like that, that seems like the most, that sounds like the best option. 
Um, but or number four, you convert to a scarcity asset called Bitcoin as your reserve currency or reserve asset and try to start over. See, the, the Bitcoin is kind of like the austerity measure, though. It's like it kind of forces austerity onto market participants. Um, yeah. So, so because of the scarcity. Yeah. And the illiquidity. It, yeah. Like the, the sort of gigabrain perspective on on Bitcoin, which I actually agree with. Okay. People, you know, when people hear like Michael Saylor talk or whatever, they're, they like sort of like laugh at him they're like, this is crazy guy. He's a crazy guy. Sometimes these gigabrain ideas are true. Okay. Just saying that. His but interview he, with Preston Pish was great. I don't know if oh, you caught that. Fantastic. Let's let's talk about it here in a second. But so the, yeah. the the gigabrain sort of hard money idea is that prices in the market are like uh, are the signals of the health of the market. So if you if you want a healthy market, you need true prices. The cure for high prices is higher prices. If you create higher prices, you will have incentive for people to come in and capture that arbitrage, which will then reduce prices. Um, so the gigabrain sort of thought with the hard money is that you need, if you don't have a hard money, then people will naturally manipulate the price signals, which will make the market unhealthy, which will lead to debt problems and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah. So I didn't listen to all the interview yet. I've only like 45 minutes in. It's like a two hour interview. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a little ahead of you, but yeah, I haven't finished it either. But I mean, it was it was really good and and just so much there was just so much like reinforcement that I think I kind of even needed of just the whole proof of work and how and they I don't know, did you get to the part where they played the clip of uh Vitalik pretty much saying like we can create our own little world <laughs> and literally like recreate the laws of physics inside of a digital world and all this stuff. Oh boy. Did you get to that part? I'm not that far, but I know which clip you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, essentially what they're saying is like everything, everything really has to be at this point has to be tied back to real life things. And I just think we've gotten so far from that understanding of there's only a finite amount of resources um, but right now we live in a world of pretty much infinite money, it feels like. And so it's no wonder that things are breaking down because everyone's clamoring for the finite amount of goods and services, like the time that's out there. And, um, and now we just keep, just keep pumping money. And now we've only contracted just a little bit, right? And we've started to break things. Uh, you know, things are already starting to break and they've really only started this tightening from the Fed level. I mean, what would they start at the beginning of the year, I guess? Right. Yeah. I think March even maybe a little after. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when you compare it to what they had to do in the, <clears throat> in the eighties with Volcker, and if we tried to do that now, like there's no way, like things would just break so fast, but all I'd say sailor, I'm still a fan of sailor. Um, so yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I understand the dynamics of where it can seem like he's pumping his bags, but there's the there are those dynamics everywhere. You know, go listen to Jamie Dimon of Chase and listen to what he says. Obviously, he's pumping his bags, too. So everyone is out there more or less pumping their bags. So do your own research. But I, I just really think Staler makes a compelling point about 
we need proof of work and anything outside of proof of work is just, it's not real. And it pretty much the incentive structure is not there to actually support an economy and the world. So. Totally. I, I agree. I mean, people laugh at sailor, but I think, and he is sort of like a meme there, there is like, there's actually like some value in that. That's sort of fun in and of itself. Like the yeah. not, not investment advice guys. So they're like, there is no second best. I love that. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. But, but his, but his, his, his like philosophies are very prescient in my opinion. He certainly speaking is pumping his own bags. We all do that. Um, yeah. but, uh, I totally agree. Dude, we've been, um, since we started podcasting, I think if you like looked on a chart, it's like the start of our podcast to now the market Mm -hmm. is, yeah, not great. Should we stop podcasting? I guess maybe we're the problem. See if the market goes back up. Maybe we're just speaking uh, too much, too much truth to power and they don't like it. No, dude, I think. I think leadership, we just, I'll come back to it again. I think we have poor leadership kind of across the board right now. And um, some things that should have happened probably decades ago, never, never happened. Um, and I think probably those two things are, um, well, I don't know about tax, where you take the tax rates, but I definitely know spending, spending should have just, spending just got out of control and it's been on both sides of the aisle. And even now, you know, we're in, we're in an election cycle. We're about three weeks out from the election nobody nobody is campaigning on on anything to do with uh fixing this problem that i feel like 90 percent of people don't even know about yet you know it's kind of like obviously they maybe people check their 401k and they're like oh that's that sucks um but the vast majority of people do not understand all these dynamics that are happening all at the same time you know <laughs> like our podcast is called not all at once and i feel like everything bad is kind of happening all at once um that's how it plays out. Yeah. So, well, um, okay. Uh, I want to make common <laughs> proof of work. Um, yeah, let's do it. Well, so here's the thing about proof of work. It's like the, what's the Winston Churchill Winston quote, which is like the Americans always do the right thing after first exhausting all the wrong things. And so, I see this a lot in, in, in life where it's like, you just have to choose the least bad option. That's like the way mm-hmm. that's like the most pragmatic strategy in life a lot of the time, which is like difficult to do because there's like emotional, there's like an emotional barrier there for, for people to overcome, which I can empathize with. I have it too. Yeah. But, um, see proof of, I see proof of work as like the, the most, like the least bad option of, of any possible solution. It's not perfect. Like I actually can, I can empathize with the concept of like, well, why are we, why are we wasting energy or whatever? Um, but you, but yeah, you, I mean, Wait, relative, what, we can, we're wasting the energy in what way? Well, see, the thing is, so there, there is a market price for, you can't like this, like, um, there is a little bit of like religious dogma in the Bitcoin community where it's like um, there is no maximum energy level that, that would be bad for Bitcoin to use. I disagree with that. There, There is a market equilibrium between what the value of a hard money 
asset is and the and the energy that's being up that's being applied to it um so it's like the the reason why the energy usage is worth the money is because it's it's sort of like it's an off it's the inverse it's the offset of human psychological failures like we're we're all humans we all make mistakes we all you know, like we can have this like imaginary virtual money, like, like a theory or like uh, Vitalik was talking about. But the problem with that is that we're all humans and we make mistakes and we may have good intentions, but we, we still make mistakes. It's just the way the, the way the world works. The, the value of a proof of work money in that is that it um it's worth that mistake. So that, that mistake, that human, that natural human mistake causes damage in the real world. And mm-hmm whatever that damage amount is, the proof of work is worth that amount of damage. That's the mark of the equilibrium. So, so yeah, like there, there is a, there is a point where the, and actually I like framing the the Bitcoin energy usage actually as the inverse. It's not that Bitcoin uses energy. It's that energy uses Bitcoin. Yeah. See there, there is a, there is a, there's a market value for, for a hard money asset. And the energy is going to use that to, to monetize itself. So it's, it's like, I get a little, like, this is like the midwit in in me, but like, I get a little annoyed when people are like, you know, the energy secures the network and like, well, I understand that, but like, it's not like, not, that's not the whole story. Like, I think that you also need to look at it from the inverse angle and that's, which is also equally true, which is that the energy is using the asset not the asset using the energy. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sailor made a great point in that, um, in that episode where he was essentially saying like, you know, the amount of storage space, um, that you were able to like store on your first, like, you know, your first iPod, um, pretty much you could have made an argument that if enough people were using iPods, um, that, because it was inefficient at that time and there was only so much storage he was saying like we could make an argument that like certain things in the past before they became really really efficient could have used up a lot more energy than we thought but the products themselves actually get more efficient over time and so one example he gave i thought this was great he was like how do you move um how do you move like 2000 pounds of steel from from California to New York, right? And like the if if people were like, well, we're just going to try to like drag it across or we're going to try to like hook it up to like an ox and try to make our way, right? He was like that we would pretty much have to like use all the energy of the world, quote unquote, to do that over and over and over again, right? But then you pretty much you say like, well, that's not how we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to become a lot more efficient and actually like, you know, build rails and we'll do it where we can move it, you know, with a locomotive that's powered by oil and we're going to get it over there a lot quicker. And so essentially what he was saying is like when in 2018, when the I think it was the World Economic Forum, when they said Bitcoin uh, in two years is going to use the equivalent, um, you know, use all the world's energy. That's just such a simple, like a simpleton mindset of you can't, you can't understand how efficient ASICs are going to get or how 
um, just how, how the grid's going to get more efficient and what, you know, what all that all goes into that. If you're just looking at like the efficiencies of today, you know, it's just very difficult to predict how efficient things can get um, Human, over yeah. time. Human ingenuity is always the answer. Okay. Yeah. To any of the world, the world's financial problems, growth, real productivity growth is the answer. Even like that debt jubilee scenario, like I was telling you about, the intention mm -hmm. of that debt jubilee is to is to stimulate real productivity growth. And productivity growth is is most effective through technological advancement advancements through through the application of human ingenuity. And I want to say something else too, which is that the you have to have a proof of work based system in 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 that world in order to incentivize the the builders to come. If if you have a proof of stake system, the game is rigged. Why would let's let's imagine me, okay? Let's say I'm I'm a really good entrepreneur, I'm really smart, I'm really capable to contribute to society. What incentive would I have to contribute to society if the game is rigged against me? I would be at the, if that's if that's my sort of belief system, then then I'm just, I'm going to become extremely nihilistic and hell I might even become like a net destructive force of society. So this is what I'm talking about. It's the least bad option. I'm not saying it's perfect, but you, but it's the most fair system. You have to, you have to energize people. You have to instill this belief system in people that they can work hard, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And that's how you can, you can make it. Okay. Showing up yeah. is really, is really half the battle people. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But I think people, I think people, especially young people, and we've talked about this, I think they just, there is just a set in stone belief right now that no matter what I do, the game is rigged. Even if I make all the choices that everyone said to do, go to college, get a job, you know, take that route, right? Obviously there's a way, there's a bunch of other routes too, but a lot of us were sold uh, in high school you got to get good grades. You got to get into college. It doesn't have to be the best college, but you got to go to college and then you'll get a job after that. And then you'll be set. You'll pretty much be able to either live at the same level as, as your parents. But most of the, most of us were sold. You're actually going to have a better life than your parents. And, you know, I would say we've talked on the, on the show before, like obviously both of us, we were very blessed and have gotten probably gotten a really good hand dealt to us. Um, but, you know, that's a sliver, right? I mean, the vast majority of people really have to like, one, catch lucky breaks and also work extremely hard. And now it's like, even if you catch some lucky breaks and even if you work extremely hard, do you, are you still able to achieve a life better than your parents? Buddy sent me a meme last night, which is so funny because he actually does this. Um, he The meme is like... <laughs> It says Gen Z and millennials selling their souls to 27 side hustles for a shot at buying a home. <laughs> and I was like, and he actually does, he, he runs like three little side businesses on top of his, uh, his day job. And it's, it's true, man. It's like, we're having to, it's what Breedlove says. It's right. It's like all this stuff is actually stealing our time and essentially making us slaves. Um, whereas if we had a different system, everyone really would be able to live in like a Jeff Booth type of world. I feel like where um, the amount of time that you actually have to put into stuff is on the decline and 
but abundance is, um, you know, kind of, you have, you experience abundance in your products and services that you're able to purchase. Right. So I think it's depressing. I think it's depressing a lot of people and it's, it really, to your point, it's like, how do you reinvigorate really two generations of people? Yeah. See this, this is like a cultural problem. And then it's like, whenever you, whenever you tell people in in the financial space, I know you're looking at the meme. I'm going to comment on yeah. that. Whenever yeah. you tell, whenever you tell people in the financial space that this is a cultural problem, just like last week, I was talking about how it's a lot of things are political problems. Financial people who are very, you know, math based and deterministic based, they they think rationally. They're they, that doesn't that doesn't resonate with them. They're like, well, how do we? How do I? How do I leverage up? How do I? How do I what kind of what sort of financial instrument can I build that will that will help me with that? Um, that's why it's like the the Bitcoin fixes this meme is like while it's like there is truth to it and then there there's also religious dogma to it but but I but I really think that people in the financial space tend to discount the actual truth to that message which is that you have to have a, a healthy price signal in the market in order to in order to have healthy markets which which avoid chaos like we're in today. Okay, I was sent this meme. I'm gonna I'm gonna describe it for the listener. <laughs> this is a this is back to where we started this conversation with the uh, Yellen. So on October 11th, <laughs> there was a tweet: U.S. Treasury Market Secretary Yellen. I'm not seeing anything in the markets that causes me to be concerned. October 12th, literally 24 hours later, U.S. Treasury Secretary Yellen. I'm concerned about the loss of adequate liquid liquidity in the treasuries. And then there's a picture of a person at a um, a slot machine, like in Vegas, <laughs> and Yellen's head is pasted on top of it. Oh man, it's messed up, dude. Let, let's see. This is exactly 24 hours and 16 minutes that that the uh, at least that these tweets went out. That uh, and it says breaking market news. So I assume it was pretty close when she actually said it. Well, so. and um, on that same note too, there was um, <clears throat> well, I forget. It was like the Chancellor of the Bank of England this past week. Of course, the past couple weeks in England have been brutal in terms of the sovereign bond market we've talked about that this past week the um the chancellor which i presume is like the jay powell of the bank of england came out and he's first he said like we're going to step in and we're going to backstop the the guilt market and then literally like 12 hours later he comes out and he says uh, you have three days to exit all positions. <laughs> people are like, people are like, what the hell is going on? Here's another meme that I can show you, which is uh, it's Darth Vader sitting in front of a podium at the Bank of England, and the tweet says, "You have until Friday. Pray that I don't alter the deal." <laughs> oh man, so messed up. I mean, it is. It's like one of those things you kind of have to laugh so you don't cry. But yes, yeah. Um. Yeah, the real estate market too. It's uh, actually the notification popped up on my phone right when we started recording, and it was that. Um, oh, where did it go? It was essentially that that mortgage rates are now at the highest in two decades. Um, at like six point, I think it was like six point eight something percent. Let me try to find. Well, I think find they, the exact number. I think they're breaking north of seven even. 
I, here's I want to make a comment on the real estate market because I've been I've been very bearish on it. I think that um, I'm increasingly of the opinion that the real estate market. Okay, this is like this weird. I'm going to make a weird claim here. The real estate okay. market is in a worse state of affairs today than it was in the global financial crisis, and yet prices may only come down as much as ten percent. So you may you may live in a world where the real estate market is totally wrecked and yet prices don't actually fall off a cliff. And that's like, that's basically the world we're living in, which is a world of stagflation, which is where you have no growth, but you have prices increasing, which basically means everybody gets poorer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Stagflation is the most, seems like the most likely outcome here, which is pretty much the collection of yeah lo low growth or even negative growth sometimes um high unemployment and high inflation so because i gotta think the unemployment is coming um oh yeah so oh yeah you just seen, has to the 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 tech companies are the leading signal here apparently yep. was, i saw i saw one report i forget the tech company there was one tech company which claimed to have laid off like you know 10 percent or 20 percent of their employment but like they're like no actually they laid off like 40 percent of their employment base um, so the Gosh. employment pain is coming. Have you seen the movie yeah. Margin Margin Call? No, someone just told me I need to watch that. It might have been my little brother, actually. Dude, yeah, you should watch that. There's a scene in Margin Call that I tweeted out where um <laughs> it's on the bank, it's on the bank perspective, uh, like the big short, but it's from the banking side of you, right? That's right. It's um it's a fictional story, but it's like definitely a realistic depiction of what went on behind closed closed doors. And uh, if you've ever seen, there's a meme that exists from it where it's where it's um I forget the actor's name. It's a well known actor, but he goes, "We are selling the assets at a fair market price," or something like that, right? And uh, the the point is, is that um they're dumping they're dumping the market. The reason why I bring that up is because I guarantee you in the past three days, there have been meetings like that behind closed doors at the major yeah. banks across the world, especially in England. Hmm. Man, it's an interesting time. Like the hard, I think the hardest part, I'm just like a fixer by nature. And I, the hardest part for me is I look into, I look like out into the world um, and there's just not great answers to give people of like, here's what you can do to like, because you used to be able to say, have a diversified portfolio and, you know, you'll weather the storm fairly easily compared to someone who is um, not diversified. Right. But now <laughs> I don't think there's anything, there is not a well diversified portfolio because everything is going the same direction mm. more or less other than maybe oil. So, and I don't even understand. I mean, I own a little bit of oil stuff, full disclosure. Um, but I guess it's just oil companies. Yeah, that makes sense. Not actual like oil, the commodity or trading futures on it. Yeah, whatever. you typically want to own the equity rather than the, the commodity. Yeah, um, I don't have any place to store it. <laughs> well, what's what's the latest with Elon Musk? Is there anything? I'm telling you, he man. Called up, he <clears throat> called up Yee. He called up Yee this week. I've Yee. been... Uh, I've been saying this whole year he's he's 
he's gone off the deep end and you've been saying, no, 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 I think he's fine. I think that we're trending towards my, my uh, reality here, my friend. He's still, he's still the wealthiest man, right? Or at least like public figure guy. I don't know. Yeah. There's people wealthier than him. That just, you just don't know who they are. Um, yeah. He, Shadow rich. There, there were reports that he is that he had a conversation with Putin. Apparently, did you see this? No. Yeah, there was reports that he had a conversation with uh with Vladimir Putin like a couple weeks ago. Prior to he went on like a tweet campaign where he was saying, "Oh, I did see this where the Ukrainian yeah. government got mad at him." Yeah, he went on a tweet campaign basically pr- promoting, um like a peace agreement, like we should stop the war, we should stop all this stuff. And um, and then the reports came out that he spoke with Putin prior to. He denied them. I, I don't know, who cares? Listen, here's what I know. The guy has a space company and he has big government contracts with NASA and certainly has um, deep integrations with the U.S. Department of Defense. While simultaneously he has tremendous equity exposure that are long duration risk assets, namely his Tesla stock. And Tesla is basically propped up by China. So he's in this weird position where he can see both worlds. And um, he's, I don't know. I, I think I think what he what he was trying to get at on that with with all that stuff was like what is the end game and I think there's that's the question in a lot of people's minds is like what from the United States perspective we're just sending them billions of dollars I think every month and mm-hmm. and we're still doing that and it's like one where's that money going like I don't even uh, it's just no way to know where that money goes in the black hole of helping Ukraine quote unquote which I'm all for helping in any way we can but it's also like i need to know what's the end date what is the strategy to get this all wrapped up because we can't just go on forever so well i, I mean especially I, once I, our economy uh tightens up then it's like you know it's all fine and dandy to send billions of dollars uh until until the market starts crashing and every you know and then everything dries up so <laughs> yeah well I, I i can agree with that actually but but the thing is is that i think the world of geopolitics and specifically when you talk about aggressive uh, or like militant geopolitics is a way different world than the public is used to uh, discovering there's not the discourse around it i think is somewhat naive i think that i think that that perspective is understandable and and I would be probably in favor of, you know, trying to bring this thing to an end. But the reality of the, the situation is we don't know all of the ins and outs of what's going on. Oh, like, sure. There, there could be all sorts of things at play, which we have, we have no, no clue over. And furthermore, I got to say something. I, I read a report this past week that was extremely difficult to read about some of the things that have gone on in Eastern Ukraine over the past six months with um, certain behaviors. I'll put it that way. This is a, this is a PG 13 rated podcast. Okay. We can cuss, but we, we're not going to go R rated. Um, 
And there's a, there's a moral thing as well that, that I think, I think that when you live on the, when you live in the world of fin, fintwit and, and you live in the world of, you know, us tech stocks and equities and duration, long durations, you, you, it's very easy to see your, your narrow view, which is that like, I'm concerned about the health of the market and the health of the world, but there is a moral problem here too, which is that like, if, if there was, you know, like a modern day Holocaust occurring, which to be totally clear, I'm not saying that there is, there's definitely not in my opinion, but if they're weaker Muslims, yeah, they're like, it's, we can't, there's a, there's a moral dilemma here that we do. It's totally separate. That's a totally separate frame of mind than I think most yeah. of the discourses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just interesting too, because, you know, it's all of a sudden, um, you know, all of a sudden, like, I felt like, I feel like the political winds have shifted. It almost felt like, you know, in the early two thousands and throughout the Afghanistan war, it was kind of like flipped where the, where, liberals were more like why are we in this war don't understand it and like republicans are more hawkish and now it almost feels like it's flipped completely where um you know feels like democrats feel like we need to step in and do all we can um where republicans are like you know what is the end game kind of thing yeah so yeah i totally get that it's it's like uh politics makes for strange bedfellows yeah that's true yeah, there's definitely, I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, yeah, we would, we would do everything we can to protect every, you know, every nation from author- authoritarian creep or rule. And, um, but it's just, how do you even pick and choose, right? I mean, do you start with Libya? Do you start with China? Like what's happening in China? Do you start with what's happening in Ukraine? Like at a certain point, it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, we can do what we can in terms of promoting democracy and promoting um, Western ideals of democracy. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like we also have we have a slew of problems that are at home. And I think that's I think that's what everything is going to end up turning into. It's not just going to be the United States. It's going to be in, in Europe as well, um, where everyone just kind of says, look, that is really awful for those other people. But, you know, our energy bills are through the roof. Like I lost my job. Like, I think it's because maybe the economy or maybe, you know, uh, immigration, everyone wants to say that like illegal immigration is only a U.S. problem. It's all over the world. I met a guy in I met a guy in Amsterdam who was like pissed, not a white man. Right. He was pissed that there were people, I think, coming in, I guess, from northern Africa because it was he was like, it's changing our culture, like jobs are more scarce, all the stuff. Right. I think we're just headed to a world for better, for worse, whether that's whether you agree with that or whatever, I don't care. It is, it's more so it's like everyone is going to clamor up in terms of nationality and say, we just need to make sure we're taken care of. And everyone's going to pretty much be doing that on their own. And then what does that, you know, what does that mean for global markets and trade, all that kind of stuff. So um, totally, I feel like we're kind of heading in that. I think we're, I think we're on our, on our way there but i think the war is still pretty new you know we're only like seven months in i guess into the war something like that and so i think i think you know the west you got to cut them some slack of like yeah they're just trying to 
figure out what to do. But at the end of the day, elections come and I think people, you can already kind of tell like there's kind of this like right wing nationalist movement going, going on in Europe right now with their elections. And um, so we'll just see how all the politics plays out. But yeah, it's obviously awful uh, what's going on. And you do feel helpless because you're like, well, I could give money, but am I giving money to the correct organization? Like, what's that actually going to do? Um, so mm. it's wild. Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. We're back. We're back. Here. Go outside. Dude, this, get some yeah, sun. This morning was beautiful. Get some, get some sunlight. Touch grass. Go for a let walk. Me, let me tell you about this house that we went into this morning because this is actually this is beautiful. This this house was like absolutely insanely gorgeous. I'll show you pictures of it. I took took a lot of them. It was like one of the most beautifully designed homes I think I've ever seen. And then it was on like a bunch of land. It was out in Crestwood, Kentucky, which is kind of like uh, farmland for people who are not from Louisville. And it had a barn. It had a bunch of chickens. And then there was this big rooster guy who kept doing the, you know, that thing and i was like this is amazing this is the freaking life get off the grid go buy a suite i will actually they bought the house and they completely re redesigned it um but it was such a funny gig because i you know i just got to go there they took pictures of like four of us just drinking coffee for this website and then at the end they'd cooked this beautiful breakfast meal and we, the four of us just sat around the table and got to eat the breakfast while they took pictures of us. It was nice. Yeah, that's, a, that's life. I'm like, I need to go just become a model. Maybe try, <laughs> try my hand at that and see, see if they take, you know, just like medium looking guys and kind of go from there. <laughs> I think you'd make a great model. You think so? Yeah. All you right. ca you kind of have the model vibe. Yeah. Wow. All right. Maybe I'll just pursue that. Hire an agent. So, uh, all right, let's talk, let's also talk about, we're, um, we're going to do next week. It might be a little, a little bit different time, but Kendall and I are going to do a show in Florida. So we're going to go visit and maybe, maybe even do, maybe we'll do some volunteer work down there. What about that? That'd be mm. kind of cool. Cause they just got hit by hurricane Ian. That's right. So maybe we'll jump in see what we can do to help, but we are going down there to do a little retreat for not all at once. Um, so yeah, the, right. the, uh, the first ever inaugural, not all at once, uh, IRL retreat, probably yeah. we, we can make it a, um, a, a twice a thing, a, a twice a year thing, maybe quarterly. I'm okay with quarterly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that will be, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be like the first week of November, I think. Right. Yeah. November. Yeah. 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 So that'll be, so, that'll be our first ever uh, live show. We're going down. Yeah. We're getting there on Thursday. Yeah. So we'll we'll record right there and there. Yeah. Sadly, we're not going to be able to go to Bitcoin in Amsterdam. That is a huge L in my book. Um, so we will be at the Bitcoin conference though next year. Ooh. Oh, this is one one more really funny story. So I've been looking for, you know, we got a kid coming, baby girl in January, if anybody didn't know that. And so we were having dinner with like a family friend the other night and one of the daughters i guess she like works at a custom shirt printing company and they were like yeah her name's cameron and they were like yeah cameron can get any shirt or anything you want on 
pretty much any type of clothing. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because I've been looking all over for like Bitcoin related, like onesies and stuff. Could not find anything. So the baby's going to show up to the Bitcoin conference wearing a fix the money, fix the world shirt. Let's go. Onesie. Let's yeah, go. So hyped. Sounds like you need to open up a Shopify store for. Bitcoin. I know, dude. I actually told her that. I mean, call it, call it Bitcoin babies. Bitcoin babies. I'm There's not enough stuff out there, honestly. Bitcoin babies is not a website.com. Let's see. Dot Let's com. Get... It's probably Bitcoin like 12 bucks a year. Do not front run us on this. Dot com. Kendall's going to buy the domain right now. Already re- already me. registered. Let's see. So somebody has it registered, but it's not a site. Dude, here's what I should do. I'm going to go. I don't know what people's opinions are on Stacks, the uh, company that sells the BTC domains, but I could go buy buy uh, BitcoinBabies.BTC or ba- just do Babies.BTC. Is that weird? Yeah. That's actually the company right there, Babies.BTC. Babies.BTC is probably already taken. You could do Bitcoin yeah. babies.xyz. Okay. I just, I really do think like throw it up on Etsy, throw it up on Shopify, and during the next bull market, just capitalize. Yeah. Using the free market. That's actually one other podcast I listened to. It was the uh, Bankless podcast with uh, Dan Held, and they talked about Bitcoin fundamentalism versus like, well, I guess he's calling it Bitcoin rationalism. Are you familiar with this? This like back, it's kind of like the Nick Carter stuff where Nick, like they talked a lot about Nick Carter where he's like, you know, he invests in VCs or he is a VC or whatever, you know, invest in projects that are not Bitcoin only um, and how he gets a lot of pushback from like all this quote unquote shit coinery. And Dan Held's point of view is like, that's very much a non-free market point of view to, to condemn someone Oh yeah, totally. That's, isn't that funny how people, people are like, people get caught up in their ideologies and they forget that part of their, they're like violating part of their own ideology. They're like, oh, we're, we're hardcore libertarians, free markets, but this other, you know, this is one thing. (laughs) Do not buy any other assets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We are going to make it illegal to buy any other asset. It's like, whoa, whoa. We, we just went 180. Yeah. It was it was an interesting conversation and, uh, you know, just a good reminder of like always keep an open mind and uh, challenge your beliefs. Don't get sucked into this like echo chamber. That's it's so easy to do with the Internet. So easy. So, but yeah, we could we could probably go down that rabbit hole at a later date. With mm, just we'll save that. Save that discussion yeah. for later. Bitcoin folks in general. So, OK, I don't have anything else what about you. I don't think so either. No. I don't think so. Yeah, I like the idea of going outside. Where we are, it's perfect kind of, you know, it's coldish in the mornings, then it gets nice in the afternoon, cold again. It's like beautiful weather, the, beautiful yeah, weather. You can just enjoy the the middle of the day and then make a little campfire at the end of the day and it's like, man, can every day be like this all year round? So good. Hey, if every day was like this, then it wouldn't be magical anymore. That's true. That's true. All right, scarcity, well, scarcity mindset. Oh, I like that. I do like that. Cool. All right. As episode 33, I think. In the 32, books? 32. 32 in the books. All right. Well, thanks for listening, y'all. We will be back next week. I'll actually be in, I'll be in an undisclosed location. Maybe undisclosed location. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye. All right. See y'all.